Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Only the second hour of our show, which features listeners' questions, is heard live from 5 to 6 p.m. every Saturday on WJR. However, both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor. Welcome to another special edition of the Internet Advisor. Hi, I'm Foster Brown, the co-host and producer of the program, and we've got a program chock full of interesting things for you. This first hour, we're going to be talking about job hunting, finding that perfect job for you if you're getting back into the job market or you're the very first time you're going at that. We've got some expert advice on that, and we'll also be talking about a nasty little red dwarf who's coming back or going to try to come back and visit the city of Detroit. Get ready for the first hour. Well, as if to celebrate another supersized Internet Advisor, we've got the whole crew, and I mean the whole crew here. Gary Baker, good to have you in-house. Well, we need everybody here. We're on for three hours today. This will be great. All hands on deck. Ed Riddell's here. Good to have you, Ed. Always good to be here. Smashed fingers and all. Oh, dear. He's been doing some incredible mechanical work today. So I thought uh, you used a computer. I do, but, you know... (laughs) You get into computers because you don't like things breaking and you want to know how to fix them. So, you know, first it started with toasters, then automobiles, and then eventually into computers. Yeah. <laughs> so he's going back to automobiles. And we have the ailing but present with us, Cal Carson. Good to have you, Carson. Cal. Yeah, welcome to the world of feast or famine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. And Is that starve, starve a fever, feed a cold? I, I, whatever, man. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go either way today. I'll take a fever and eat a code. Whatever. <laughs> and, and, to, and to my right, and to your right, Mister <laughs> Shane Hamlin. Shane, good to have you in studio. Hey guys, how are you? Ba- back from the gaming world, Pawn yes. Radio. Eh? Pawn radio. radio. I'm taking a little, little break. Yeah, trying something different. Glad you're back. Glad you could be back with us. Uh, Pwned Radio, by the way, is what uh, you've stepped into now on yes. Sundays, right? Sundays, uh, nine to eleven on uh, Podcast Detroit. Did you say uh, Pong? Pwned. How do you Pwned. spell that? P W N E D. Thank you. You know, and I heard your description on your yeah. on your podcast. Yeah. What that meant meant is people mistyping owned yeah. you. Well, so I own you. They 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 would type pwned, and it stuck. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Is that where it came from? Yeah. P's right next to the O. I thought you just didn't like, you know, vowels, vowels. or something. No. <laughs> it's hard to get people uh, to pronounce it. $20 for a vowel, please. I, I saw the word pone, and I, you know, I was looking for the word corn to go with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got the whole crazy crew here, and as Gary said, three hours of program. 
We're delighted, by the way, in this hour, we're going to be talking with Todd Palmer, who's an author of our job search process, and Joe Bastian is with us. He's a man who first let us know about the Nain Rouge, the Red Dwarf, and you'll find out more about that as we continue I our program. I think there's starting to be a few of those sightings around, you know? There have been plenty of those sightings around. Matter of fact, on the internet, you certainly see a lot of them from last year, and there's a march coming up in March. Yep of the Nain Rouge, as they try to march him out of town. That's the key. But, Ed, I wanted to start off with you about something we, we got a note this week, which kind of disappointed me in some ways. As a matter of fact, surprised me. Right. And that was Paul Sr., our old buddy from Harbor Beach, who's now down in uh, on the Gulf Coast. Uh, no, legend, down near Houston. Yeah, 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 he calls us from the golf course every now and then. Uh, yeah. And he uh, told us that one of, I, I thought it was kind of like the secret weapon for me in terms of a double whammy for getting rid of malware, the combo fix doesn't work with some of the newer versions of Windows. Right. Windows 8.1 it does not work with, or nor Windows 10. So, it, I mean, it'll work with uh, Windows 7, Seven right. Windows Vista, Windows 8.0 original, but who runs that? Yeah. And but it, but it will not install on the newer versions. Mm. And the only place you can legitimately download it from is from bleepingcomputer.com. Safely yeah. downloaded from, yeah. And and, you know, it's interesting because uh, how many people have had to use that since you've gone to Windows 10? Oh, probably not a few of any. Right. <laughs> That's true. And what's yeah. nice about the, uh, the, the combo fix is that inside the utility, it has the ability to directly um, send the log files to a user community at thebleepingcomputer.com, and they can analyze it for you if it's an unusual problem. And what what is bleeping computer? Just for our listeners' sake. Well, it's it's a website that that's well, I, I'm, I've always used it. It's a very reliable resource. Yeah. It's a user community where people right. can register and ask questions about mm-hmm. their computers, their issues, the persona like what we do online, mm-hmm. but this not in real time, of course. Mm-hmm. So like the old forum groups where people yeah. like the user. Groups. And and better than being able to ask questions, they get answers. They do. Yeah. Well, one of the answers apparently is <clears throat> possibly going to get them in trouble, and that was a, a rather detailed answer about a, a piece of software called Spy Hunter. And uh, Ed, you brought this to my attention. Why don't you tell me what the what the game is going on here? Well, apparently, um, Combo Fix and rightly so, um, evaluated a number of these software products that were claiming to be... Bleeping computer, I think. Bleeping computer, right. Did the evaluation. And they they were claiming that they were legitimate antivirus and anti-spyware programs. But what was happening is that they were being installed on people's computers without their consent and Mm. and coming up with thousands of rogue, supposed rogue uh, Mm. Trojans and viruses. and, And, you know... Well, claiming that you have to purchase the yeah. software in order to remove the, so- uh, so, the viruses. To make a long story short, one of the contributors to Bleeding Computers put out a pretty good, and we'll post it, um, explanation of uh, the, the concerns about Spy Hunter. But what happened was that the company that runs Spy Hunter, which is Enigma Software, then decided that they would handle this by threatening to file a lawsuit. And what they said essentially is... If well, you, not threatening. They have no, filed well, a lawsuit. Out, they have filed. They have filed it now, yeah. <laughs> that, that they were going to go after them and, and you know take them to court and take them for every penny they've worth. They've done this before. This isn't the first time it's been done. And it's not the first time it's been done to a company like... Um, or to a group of people like Bleeping Computer. But what, what 
I wanted people to be aware of is that this is kind of a tactic. It's kind of like the trolls, right. you know, who say, look, uh, or like we heard from Donna um, Klein uh, with eBay. You know, if you don't give me a good rating, I will then, you know, sabotage you. I will give you bad ratings. I will, you know, create havoc for you. Right. And this is kind of a way of doing that. In other words, instead of dealing with the legitimate challenges to the way that they were either marketing their product and and yes whatever it was so instead of dealing with the substantive facts in the hand spy hunter decided that they were going to take them to court and essentially break them by costing them all sorts of money it's a, a sad unfortunately story that is going on all too often when people don't want to deal with the facts of the matter they take people to court and try to ruin them that way. So we're going we're to post some stuff on the homepage to keep you up with this because uh, Bleeping Computers is a great resource. Ed, you found it over the years, yes. and so have I. Well, we're going to take a quick break and in just a moment come back with Todd Palmer to help you with your job search. Well, we have a cast of thousands here in the studio and delighted to have them all with us. An old friend of ours recently got in touch with us. His name is Joe Bastian, and Joe is somebody that we've had on the air a number of times before, talking about, among other things, the Nain Rouge, the Red Dwarf, and we'll talk about that phenomenon a little bit. But uh, Joe came to us with um, a, a subject that is uh, <laughs> near and dear to a lot of our hearts, and that is looking for a job and keeping a job, and sometimes uh, suddenly looking for a job. And a uh, fellow author of that he has met and a friend of his is Todd Palmer, who is the author of, among other things, a book called The Job Search Process. And Joe, first of all, thank you. You can press the on button there. There you go. Thank you very much for bringing them in. Oh, thank you. There There we go. All right. Good to have met. How did you two get to meet one another? Actually, we met through through business. Uh, In my day job, I develop uh, corporate education training programs, Uh and uh, Todd and I ran into each other throughout some corporate functions and uh, built a friendship out of it. And for years, uh, he's had the vision of writing this book about, I mean, he's in the staffing business, Mm -hmm. so he understands what it takes to recruit and uh, get jobs for people. And uh, over the years... With his own energy and uh, maybe a little little push from me, uh, <laughs> he's finally put it on paper. So I'm, I'm really excited for him. Oh, that's really cool. Todd, welcome to the program. Glad to have you with us. Oh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, you, uh, you have been a corporate, uh, well, you've been a staffer for a long time with a company called Diversified Industrial Staffing, right? He started the company. Yeah. That is correct. 1997. Wow, what, 1997. Wow. Good for you. So you have been in a place of helping to place people. And which is a good place to be when you're trying to figure out what really works to get people hired. Well, what's really changed since 1997 is we used to work a lot with helping people who are unemployed get off the unemployment rolls and get back into the workforce. What we've seen is a massive shift, especially in our category, as a skilled labor employee continues to get into their 50s and now into their 60s, there's just less and less of them. So we've had to shift our methodology to helping someone who's got a job get a better job. And that's a very different recruiting model to convince someone who's got a full-time job to trust us, to champion their cause, to help them get something better for themselves and for their families. Well, you know, I'm really... in involved in and certainly knowledgeable about IT staffing. And I mean, it's hard to find people today. In the world that you play in, which is machinists, CNC operators, uh, it's as hard, isn't it? I mean, it's tough. There's not enough skilled labor out there. Very much so. And if you take that skilled labor label 
and you apply it to machinists like I work with, but also to IT people, to accounting people, to nurse people, anyone who's got that, you know, essentially post-secondary education, vocational education, or that ability to have that on-the-job training like a lot of machinists have mm-hmm. had or welders have had, those people are very, very rare birds. And we find every day that, you know, there's there's more and more demand and less and less uh, talent available. You, you, ah. They're getting older? Is that what you just... That happens, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the alternative. That is true. That's that is true. true. <laughs> well, it's... Detroit typically like, has had kind of like this image of being the place that people are trying to get out of in order to get jobs. You're saying the opposite is this is, looks like a, a great place to come if you're trying to get a job. Oh, absolutely. Especially, again, if you're in the skilled labor category or even, again, in IT, accounting, nursing, one of these areas where you have to be able to apply a skill set to a job as compared to we'll just walk in with a college degree necessarily. There's plenty of opportunities. When we staff nationwide, we do primarily 99% of our placements are full-time permanent placements where, again, we're getting someone a full-time opportunity. And where the the idea for the book came into play is in talking with not only kids who are just getting out of college, but also for that person maybe who was displaced or looking for that final career job, they don't know how to find a job. They're just lost. The colleges have not done... What a lot of parents are arguing is a good enough job getting, you know, junior ready for that first job, mm. but also for someone who hasn't had to look for a job or, again, used to get a job asking the neighbor across the street or yeah. at the bowling on Friday night. Yeah. They're just, they're just lost. They don't know where to go. I have often thought, I'm sorry, you're going to say something. No, I mean, when Todd first came in here and introduced himself, and, uh, and I really, oh, he handed me this book. This is a book I'm going to read, because I'm in that <laughs> realm right now. And and I have college kids, and I'm like doubly going to read this book now, because I'll, I'll give it to my son when he gets home on Easter break. He's going to be graduating soon. Yeah. yeah. You know, how do you search for a job? Dad doesn't have that experience. I've been out of the work market for 29 years and, and haven't had to look for a job, you know? Yeah. So uh, this is great. And the, I really and the great, appreciate that. The great thing about it is it is cross-generational. The mm-hmm. message is, is it applies to a lot of different people. We find that even when we talk to high school kids or college kids, they're just well, they're, they're, they just think there's going to be a job available for them. And I'm like, you guys have to really take some necessary steps yeah. on, a, on an everyday basis to get where you want to go. And that's why we say you can find it. If you follow the process, you'll have a job within 30 You know days. what I think makes that tough, too, is that, yeah. Ed, when you were coming out of high school you know, in that age group, there were a lot of jobs available, weren't there? I mean, it, it, well, in the mid '80s, now it was, it was the now. Well, that's really, true. You know what, what happened when I went to a job search? I got I graduated from high school. My dad had the Navy come over and give a presentation <laughs> with the slideshow against the the wall about the paneling, <laughs> and we hung a sheet up and uh, a couple technical trades, and then I think GMI was there, and and that was the that was the recruiting. <laughs> that's <laughs> that, that was the job search and college search yeah. at the time. For sure. And one of the interesting things that you say about at least your parents were cared enough to drive you at least in some direction or provide yes. you with some guidance. But the, the statistics show that 80% of jobs are never posted anywhere. They're not listed anywhere. Okay. So you can't go to Craigslist. You can't go to Monster, Career Builder, anywhere to find the, all See, the jobs. that has been my contention. With my grandson, uh, Tony, is looking for a job right now. He's uh, He got uh, his uh, c- computer degree at uh, Wayne County, uh, Oakland County Community College. He got an, uh, an associate's degree there, and now he's ready. He wants to get in on a kind of a ground floor someplace, as a, in any way, any way he can get in. And I keep on telling me it's about networking, Tony. It's yeah, about for who sure. you know, and not necessarily about getting the perfect resume together. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that is that true? Am I wrong in that? No, absolutely. We tell everybody networking is the number one way to find a job, and the networking is done through social media. Put it on Facebook. You can tell you know friends and family. You can just broadcast it to the world because everybody knows a company that's looking for someone. They may not be looking for someone with your you know your your grandson's skill sets, but he may know someone 
I mean, you know, I met Joe. Joe knew you guys. I mean, it's all about networking. Isn't really, I'm asking the guys here in the studio here. How did you get your jobs? Was it through? Per- well, Jerry, you, <laughs> Gary has had so many I'm, I'm jobs. sorry. We lost count. <laughs> and I was thinking, I, you know, have- Gary's a professional. Um, he's a professional mentor. You know, he mentors other people. Mm-hmm. And he's a job hunter himself. And he's always looking for something. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's always a friend that contacts me. And Okay. Has, that's has what I thought. In, it's a network. Right? How about you, Ed? Was it a network? For you, or was it? Uh... Mm, let's see. Yes, it was a network. I had some friends that I went to college with that actually okay. said, "I re- yes, Cal, yeah. how about you?" No, I pretty much just kind of got off the kind of stoke wagon, and they just hired me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, literally, I, I. But you guys I, have I been in the same high, job. I walked out of high school. You've been in the same got job. Hired, yeah. or the same company. In the same job. The oh entire wow! Time. Same company. You are a rare individual, I would think, right, yeah. Todd? Oh, that's very kind of a rare so. case. Yeah. Especially, you know, what we see happening is, you know, the average person in in their forties is going to have about four to six careers, meaning not just a job but a career. The millennials coming out, they're looking to double that number mm-hmm. easily. That's what I had heard. That eight careers in their lifetime. By the time that they are at quote unquote retirement age, and who? What is retirement age? You know, I'm right. going to be turning uh, 75, I as I think is what it was, wasn't it? Is this, it might be, that might be around there. 80? I mean, yeah. people are working and people are in better health as they're getting older, generally speaking, uh, present company accepted, uh, as they get older and, and they're continuing to work. And, you know, to Todd's point about some jobs aren't even posted, um, I, yeah. I was interviewing somebody yesterday. I hope she's not listening. <laughs> um, interviewing her yesterday um, for a job and we're not going to put her in that job. We're going to put her in another job. Uh-huh. She doesn't know that yet. That's why I hope she's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're going, well, with her skill set, we need her over here. So we're, we're going to create a job for her. Yeah. yeah. She, and, the, and the other thing I could think of is, you know, uh, when kids go to college, they, they always go, oh, you know, I'm being recruited by this fraternity, you know. And I always, you know, poo-pooed on that idea and yeah. stuff like that. But really, that is a good... If, if the child yes. or, your, or your son or daughter is particular in what fraternity they go in, and it's not a party one, yeah, yeah, it can yeah. actually be beneficial. They'll build right. a lot of social skills right. and build a, build a network within that fraternity. I have a grandson at Michigan State University who's going into med school, and he is building that kind of a network now. Shane, how about you? Yeah. How, how did you get in your job right now? I know you're... <laughs> Well, you know, it it was just something, it was uh, everything that I'm, that I do now in my life is a passion of mine. Um, You know, that's the the only way I'm going to make it, you know, my degree in college is conservation and forestry. So, you know, that's (laughs) really, you're not climbing trees anymore. Smokey the Bear. He looks like Smokey the Bear. So everything, everything I do in my life now is because I'm passionate about it. Okay. I want to come back and talk uh, more about taking that idea of the passion you have and turning that into a job. Todd. Palmer is our guest right now. Job search process is what we're talking about, and we will return with that on the Internet Advisor. It's the Internet Advisor, Foster by my name, and in studio we have our whole crew and a gentleman named Todd Palmer. Todd, thanks so much for being with us. He's the author of a book called Job Search Process. Somebody who's been involved in helping people find jobs through diversified industrial staffing for many, many years. He's also oh, he, really he's only helped four thousand three hundred people, right, <laughs> to find jobs. So let's put it in perspective. <laughs> of course, he is. You know, Inc. says that he's uh, one of the fastest growing companies in America, and and Corp. Magazine one of the best uh, Michigan Economics bright spots. So yep. yeah, uh, yeah. So he must be doing something right. You think? Other than writing this great book that I have. <laughs> How did you have you time book? to write the book? That's what I wanted to know, Todd. Well, it, you, you mentioned earlier about passions. And, and what, one, of our, one of my big passions in life, life is to improve lives. That's, mm-hmm. It's on the back of our business card. It's on our website. 
And um, I have to give full credit to an author named Simon Sinek who wrote a book about I finding love, your why. I love so Simon Sinek. I yeah, saw Simon absolutely. speak before he had he hadn't even written his book yet. This is how long ago it was, wow, and it took okay. me two years to figure out my why. So anything I spend my time with, whether it's writing the book, working in my business, playing baseball, yeah. uh, I always try to improve someone's lives, someone's life in that process. And it's just once I had that mind sh- shift to focus on it, that piece. It's just been it's been an amazing ride. Yeah. Get, well, and and you mentioned baseball. Now you and I talked about it before we were on the air. By the way, if any, we've got to get that webcam up during the commercial <laughs> breaks and and whatnot because that's the, when a lot of the really fascinating conversations yeah. happen. But you were also telling me, and this is an aside. I know it's not part of the the book and part of the show, <laughs> but you have one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, private baseball card collection signed, right? I do, yes. Wow. So, how, about how many do you have? Can you keep track of them all? I do keep track of them all. Um, uh, I, first of all, I have to thank my wife for for allowing me to be able to have such an enormous collection. It's in, it's in excess of two hundred fifty thousand. Two hundred fifty thousand cards signed. Yeah. Signed, signed. Signed baseball cards. How far back? Um, as far back as the fifties. Give or take. Now okay, you do, so the, the, now some, some of the players some, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, because we're old, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but but now you play baseball still. But you're not um, these these are not guys you play baseball with. This is after they stop playing that you get there. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I play for recreational <laughs> <Come on>. fun. <laughs> Todd, I when they're looking for a real job, then he gets he gets their he gets their autograph. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, your book is kind of interesting the way it's laid out. It's called the Job Search Process, and uh, it looks like about half of it is are, are your tips, and we're going to talk about that in terms of the the tip but then half of it is also kind of a workbook that's correct you yeah designed this to be something that people can can not only take the information but get into it and then start digging into it and use it to chronicle their own job search a, a perfect a perfect way to put it we we discovered when we were talking to people about the process that if we gave them the information on what to do we found that one of their big bottlenecks is they wouldn't know the next steps to take it that's why we've essentially tabbed it all out laid it out so someone can read the first half of the book and then follow the process and chronicle it through the remainder part of the book to see that the success at the end, it's it's very much, um, and it's designed to keep it very simple. It's designed for anyone to use, a high school grad all the way up to someone who in their, again, later stages of their career looking to make a transition and make a change. It's It's got to be accessible for the people. Again, it, go, it goes to our point of, if I want to improve lives, it's got to apply to everybody mm-hmm. so that we can make make a difference not only in our community, but in our world as a totality. Cal? You know, Todd, when you say accessible, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the book right now, and it's a pulp-based unit right now. Is it also accessible you know, as an e-book? And where, where can people get this book from? Um, it, it's available as a Kindle okay. version through, uh, okay. through Amazon.com and, and jo- the Job Search Process book. Uh, we also have our own website, www.jobsearchprocess.com. And it's um, it's very it was very interesting because we want to make sure again it has as an appeal and a readily it's readily accessible to anybody who wants to have a copy of it. We're going to be by the way posting that on our homepage. That's right. So people don't have to pull off the road to write right. that down. Right. We'll, we'll it will be there. Just go to our website internetadvisor.net after the show and you'll be able to. get We'll it. be posting all yep. the information. Um, your your <laughs> title says the job search process find and land a great job in less than thirty days. That's a pretty bold statement to make. So and I, I feel like I can make that statement because I've actually had to do it. So I, during our break, we we're kind of talking about our first jobs and things like that. In my first job uh, out of college, um, I was awful at it, and I wasn't very. And I had to go find another job because I wasn't very good at my first job. And my brother was in the staffing space. He'd give me a lot of support and a lot of ideas. And actually, when I the graduation gift I got as a college senior was a book on how to find a job. 
from my brother. Oh, so it was, he was a very good mentor in that yeah. respect, and he's been a mentor. He continues to be a mentor to this day. So I'm very fortunate that way. And so what I found was if I applied the methodologies. I, one week when I was in my mid-20s, when I was looking for a job, I had 10 interviews. I got in six offers because mm. I followed, followed a process. I tweaked the process that I learned when I was younger, put some different spins on it in this book so that, again, if you follow the process, you I, I got a job in like 22 days one time okay. looking for a different okay. job. So this is this is not, uh, this is is not a form, this is a proven form, if you will. Cal? No, you're talking about in, in 30 days getting a job. Are you saying getting the job that you want or getting yeah. a job? Well, and it, I know that's putting you on the spot. Oh, no, absolutely. And that's a very fair question. And uh, I've had some parents, when they bought the book, ask me the same thing. <laughs> and, and really, I, I say it's getting a job to start with. It's the job, the, the pro- job search process is really designed for the kid who's just gotten out of high school or college to find yeah. their, their first job. And yep. is, I think a lot of guys in the room can attest to your first job isn't still the job you have. Now, for someone who says, I want to find my next career, you, you want to take the methodologies. And the methodologies are based upon a rigid discipline to following a process. So if you said, I want to get from this job to this job, if you take those pieces, follow, but it, at our, the stage of our careers, you want to f- plug in your network a lot more. You want to be able to f- take these pieces and go out and s- to call your friends and family and say, who do you know who might be able to use my skill set? Mm-hmm. So the activity may not be as much from a volume perspective, much more strategically laser focused. At, at, again, at that second and third stage of your career. Let me and, ask you some questions that came up from my uh, my grandson recently in an interview process. Um, is it fair uh, that somebody would ask somebody about disabilities in a job interview if they had disabilities? Is that is that okay to ask? I'm not sure I would ask them. Um, yeah. I guess you really need. I would need to know more of the context of how uh-huh. they were asked, and, and if the well, they ask literally. You know, do you have things like OCD or uh, bipolar disorder? Or th- I mean, they were asking you about some pretty heavy mental health things uh, besides a physical disorder. Uh, disability, For sure. Pardon me. Um, it wouldn't be my recommendation. Yeah, I would uh, think you're treading on some pretty. Yeah, not not in the U.S. You're not supposed to ask questions. I was going to say that's pretty shaky ground. One thing I I do know that if your job requires you to, uh, do you have the ability to lift fifty pounds? That is that 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 you can much more. Yes, if you're a function of the job. If you're, I have a friend who's a firefighter and he has to carry large things upstairs to be able to put. He has to do it. He he has a very different. The 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 overall context that that I always say when we interview candidates, we ask our clients to interview the candidates we provide is the question has to be applicable to the job that they're going to be doing. So if 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 you're going to be doing essentially clerical or IT work and you're not lifting big generators, asking them whether they can lift 50 pounds doesn't really apply. Right. Chances are people aren't going to be offended by that. Mm-hmm. The flip side of it is you should ask somebody if they're going to be you know, lifting large pieces from not only from a, um, a competency standpoint, sure. but a safety standpoint Absolutely. primarily. Absolutely. Todd, by the way, Todd Palmer is our guest here. The book is called The Job Search Process. How about, is it worth signing up with a job search agency? Um. Well, as a recruiter, I would say absolutely. You, yeah, you should, you should. But to that, I know it's a loaded question. It's a loaded question. I, I appreciate the free plug. Um, at, but at the end of the day, you want to pick an agency that is going to best serve your needs, and you, as a job seeker, should know what you want. So when someone will come to us, and they maybe don't go to a different recruiting company, they're coming to us because they're a welder, because they're a machinist. Okay. Flip side. So you mentioned that your if your grandson wanted to get into IT, there are boutique firms and even large national firms that have within them departments that just focus on IT. He should go out and find those individuals. Okay, so then he's shopping for a, an agency that's tailored to the kind of field that he wants to get into. Exactly. Cal, you were going to ask. Okay, so, you know, I've never, ever had to use a recruiter before. 
How does that all work, and how do you get your income from it, and, 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 and how does that all work, just in a nutshell, basic recruiting? Well, I can tell you, there's, there's basic recruiting, and I can tell you how we do recruiting. So basic recruiting is a company calls up a recruiting agency, find me a person, the recruiting agency goes out and finds that person. That's how the process begins. We have a different spin on it. Our process is called candidate-centric. So we, we go out and find that candidate first, almost like a sports agent or a Hollywood agent. Oh. And we want to get that candidate in front of as many of our prospects as possible to get him or her that best option. So we represent that candidate first as compared to going out into the marketplace and trying to plug in a job spot. Because again, we realize that not only are we moving an employee into a new opportunity, that employee typically will bring, be bringing their family along with them, the benefit packages. The Do they have to pay comes. for it at that point, no, the candidates? Uh, we, we work for, um, 99% of the recruiting companies I have ever heard of work free of charge. Actually, in the state of Michigan, mm-hmm. you can't charge a can- someone to help them find a job. Oh, okay. As a, oh, that's a... a so how do you stay in business? The client pays us. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And, is, and is, especially in the space that we're in, there you know there's statistically about 600,000 openings on a daily basis for skilled trades labor. So if we've got somebody who wow. can plug in one of those spots, we're able to get an audience with a lot of you know manufacturing companies, whether it's automotive or aerospace medical device. Gary, is that same, excuse me, is that same thing in IT as well? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's both retained uh, search firms, and you'll go work for the company, or there oh, yeah, are okay. contingent firms, but you'll still get paid by the company. Yeah, all right. Or you hire IT like I do by just giving a kid next door a pizza and ask them to fix up the pizza. <laughs> yeah. Well, that works too. <laughs> Todd Palmer is our guest here. Job Search Process is the name of the book. We're going to be back in just a moment continuing our conversation with Todd. And then Joe Bastian is going to come in talk about the little red devil who's been uh, trying to be he's run out of town. He's a dwarf. Well, okay, he's a dwarf. Red That's dwarf. right. He's not actually a... We don't need the horns in that thing. All right, coming back in just a few minutes. At this time of the program, I'd like to thank the people behind the glass. Mr. Rich Lozenski, who's our engineer. Thank you, Rich, for being there. And also Logan Standifer, who's our producer. Thank you very much, Logan. We're going to make you work, honey. We're going to make you work. Coming up this next hour. <laughs> and, and, and she has a special relationship with you. She folks. has. She is my granddaughter. I'm very proud of her. She's also a student at Specs Howard School of Broadcasting, where I graduated. And looks nothing like you, years. thank God. Thank yes. heaven. Yes. Thank She's heavens. a very attractive you young woman. You can hear her smile when she answers the phone. You're so we right. hope you call. That, that is so nice. Yeah. Yes. I want to get back to uh, Todd uh, Palmer as our guest here. His book is called Job Search Process. Maybe just a, a final question for you uh, about this, and then we'll talk about where people can get hold of the, um, the book itself. Is there a, a particular question that you find people um, are missing when they're in an interview that they, they just don't ask and, and could be really significant to them if they only would ask that question? Oh, absolutely. So what we see, and we get a lot of this feedback from our, our customers, too, on the recruiting side is, he or she just did not seem interested in the job. They came in, they were, they had low energy. They just act like they were doing us a favor to come in and do the interview. And we, then we talked to the candidate, like, well, I was nervous and I was scared. And it, so what we tell our candidates is, if there's a job you really, 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 really want, ask for it there. And, ask, and if they give you a deflection, ask for it again. You'd be surprised how many people, by just showing that enthusiasm and that interest in that employer, are going to get that job. Because if that employer interviews 10 people, I can guarantee you, unless someone reads the book, the other nine aren't going to ask for the job. <laughs> Folks, this book is really fascinating because half of it is tips, and, and they've come from many, many years of experience of helping people. Over 4,000 people get jobs that Todd has done over the years. But the other half of it is also kind of a workbook. So if you've got a young person in your house, like my grandson, who is uh, entering into the uh, IT job field, this would be a great thing for him to kind of chronicle the process and to help about think about what the next step are. And also for people like geezers our age, who are uh, perhaps thinking of moving careers or getting deeper in or looking for another job, 
also good to help people think in those terms as well. Absolutely. The, real, the book has universal appeal. Uh, it's definitely our, our goal with the book is to have it be within the next three to five years, the number one gift given to any kid graduating from high school or college by a grandparent, by someone who loves and cares about that child. Yeah, that, that goes to our why that goes to the core of what we do in improving lives. So that's really what we want to do. And it, but also applies again to, to the to the geezers in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You tip your hat to us. Okay. <laughs> the book is called The Job Search Process, Find and Land a Great Job in Less Than 30 Days. Todd Palmer is the author. And uh, again, we'll have all the links uh, for you to be able to find the book online. Uh, you get it as a Kindle ebook. You can also get it through Amazon. And we'll have all those links there. Todd, thanks so much. Thank for you for having there. me. I had a great time. You and, know, and you know, Foster, um, there's one guy that's been hanging around Detroit for a long time. We don't want him to have a job here and he's a little red oh, yeah, that's true <laughs> the name rouge and uh, by the way for those of you who have gone to our, our homepage, internetadvisor.net you see this rather uh, sinister looking character with flames all around him and he's the name rouge uh, actually that page that's there is part of a comic uh, and the last time, Joe Bastian, you were on with us, we were talking about that particular comic, weren't we? Yes, we were, actually. we That comic was in development, and now it has been released. It's been out for about a year now. And tell, and, us, tell us the, the legend of the Red Dwarf of Nain Rouge. Sure. Well, the legend is over 300 years old. Yeah. And uh, the Nain Rouge, it's French for Red Dwarf, and he appears as a harbinger of doom just before bad events mm -hmm. and he is indigenous to the city of detroit well, when did that start it started with uh, cadillac when he founded uh detroit in 1701 and, and so so why the red dwarf tell us more uh, well traditionally that it comes from france uh the the whole idea of of the luton or the mischievous uh little dwarf oh. so it came over with the french but what's interesting is uh 300 years ago the legend was here and over time, it it got lost. Yeah, it was, but, and, but it was Detroit centric, right? It was it Detroit happened centric, in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, Saint Anne's Church, which is uh, one of the oldest churches in the country, used to have a, a festival uh, 150 years ago, where in the spring, uh, someone would dress as the Nain Rouge and they would broom him out of the city oh, no down, down to the river. <laughs> and and so, throw him in the river? No, that no, would it be was, cold <laughs> in, in March. <laughs> but so the, this, was a, this was a tradition, and then now they've just brought this back um, just okay. in the past few years. I, actually, I, I wrote the book Trilogy. The first book came out in 2009. I rediscovered the legend. I, I was asking around, I was, has anyone heard of the name Rouge? And they're like, what? I'm like, I was born and raised here. I've never heard of this. So I went and started doing a lot of research on it. Uh, the legend is very old, but there wasn't a lot of backstory. It was the, the, the gotcha. basic legend was this red dwarf appears as a harbinger of doom, and people have actually seen it over the So past. this would have come with the French-Canadian settlers as a French story. from it, With Cadillac, who founded yeah. Detroit. Right, Antoine de la Motte Cadillac, yeah. yeah. And that's almost, is it the 300 years yeah, ago? Yeah, over, the, over 300 years. Yeah, that, that he came and landed on the 1701, shores. 1701, yeah. Wow. So when did the red dwarf first appear around Cadillac's time? Well, the the legend that we've we've built on. So all the all that existed was the basic. There's this red dwarf that appears as a harbinger of doom, right, right. just for bad events. And what I did in the in the book trilogy that became the graphic novel that we're moving into creating the movie yes. for it. Uh, we we tied it uh, that he is actually the protector of the land, or he was. Oh. And when Cadillac came. He appeared at the at Fort Pontchartrain and said, "I'm here to help you cultivate and grow the land." And Cadillac 
kicked him out of the fort and said, I don't need your help. He dissed him. He dissed him. So the Nain Rouge turned and he cursed. And he said, take what you steal and steal what you keep. The shepherd must pay for his sins with his sheep. So that was the curse on the city. And you fast forward to modern times in the stories that I wrote. There are these two teenagers who end up their descendants of one of Cadillac's men. And they're actually the ransom of the curse. So. I got you. I see, but no, there's no more sheep in this in the in the <laughs> well, modern the sheep, version. The sheep are the kids. Well, uh, those are okay. the kids. No, this has been going. The, the the March of the Red Dwarf has been going on for uh, how many years now in Detroit? This, this will be the seventh year. The seventh Mar- year. March March Nain Rouge and uh, Francis Grenau, who heads it up. Uh, Francis was a grad student at Wayne State, and when I was finishing the first book, someone said. Hey, there's they're bringing a parade back or something, ah. and Francis and I met for the first time seven years ago. So it was very, uh, very serendipitous, and we were actually working in parallel on two that's fascinating similar projects. And, yeah. and so uh, March twentieth is going to be the march. Yes, Sunday. and they march this guy out of town, right? They yeah, don't they like, do. They don't like this. Red so what? Board. How did that? How does that work? I mean, what do they start? And yeah, yeah. So they they start at the traffic jam and snug right down in Midtown. <laughs> Good place to start. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's a very very much a Mardi Gras feel. So it looked like it when I saw it. You're supposed to dress up in costume or something that masks you, so the Nain Rouge uh, doesn't know who you are and uh-huh. can't exact revenge if you if you're I able to it. kick them out of the city. I got you. So you know it's become uh, very family friendly over the years. Uh, One o'clock. Uh, it starts at Traffic Jam and Snug. The Nain Rouge may appear. He has every year, uh, <laughs> and uh, you march him right down all the way down through the cast corridor. To the Masonic Temple, uh, banish him, and then there's a party afterwards at the Masonic Temple in the Fountain Ballroom. Sounds like wow. a whole lot. Of- Sounds fun. You know, he seems like the sort of guy that needs a Marvel logo in front of him somewhere <laughs> down the line. <laughs> you know, he could be a superhero with the twist of the yes. story. So right? you know, there was a movie uh, made here about Superman meets Batman, right? Yeah. Um, this is um, there's going to be a movie, Joe, that's made here, and it's going to be about our own. Well, not superhero, but our own little... <laughs> the anti-hero. Yeah, the own little the red dwarf. Tell us about the movie. Yeah, so uh, we're actually going to launch the campaign the week of the march. We have the trailer, so uh, I think you guys got a little teaser. You got that to see it early. That is one spooky yeah, trailer. That is yeah, so cool. it, it came out really, really nice. And this is a community project, so we're going we're gonna to start with a, with a Kickstarter, with a crowdfunding campaign to get everyone involved, and then we'll be shooting the film this summer. Excellent. Well, we're going to have links on our homepage again to the trailer and some of the other things so people can get involved in supporting that. That's Joe, right. thanks again for being with us. We're going to talk some more when the march comes up, okay? Absolutely. We'll Thank have you, you back here. Maybe even interview the man himself. The Ray you the think we could get the Red Dwarf I to I show up? I bet you could. Oh, okay. we'll, we'll you, may, you might have to clean up, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that just to get the, Folks, the scoop. Hang on. This is just the first of three hours coming up in this next hour, starting at 4 o'clock. We're going to be talking about Apple versus the FBI. That's a big brouhaha that has been brewing around the Internet. And we'll also be meeting some folks who have the uh, only third-party Apple place in the entire state of Michigan. Riesler. We'll be back with that. Mac Professionals in the second hour. You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, 
our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to MITechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. Now let's get back to the the Internet Advisor. Good afternoon and welcome to the Internet Advisor. Foster Brown and a whole team of folks here at the Internet Advisor's program. We're here as hour number two of a three-hour program. And in this hour, we're going to be looking at uh, some very interesting comments around the FBI and Apple struggle that's going on. We're also going to meet the folks from Mac Professionals, the Apple-authorized service provider that has been helping people in the state of Michigan for quite a while now. All that coming up. to the Internet Advisor. Once again, your hosts, Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and Ed Rudell. <laughs> I'm having a hard time containing the conversation in the studio, and we haven't even gotten on the air yet. <laughs> Welcome to the Internet Advisor, and probably one of the hotter topics in uh, the computer world. My name is Foster Brown, the host, co-host, and producer of the Internet Advisor, and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'm I'm teasing a little bit, but uh, what, Gary... there's there's passion around this subject. <laughs> oh, huh? really? yes, huh. Gary Baker, uh, my co-host here, <laughs> Ed Rudell, Kel Carson, and Shane Hamlin are in studio. Our whole tech crew is here, and uh, also in studio with us is Dean Norton. He is the CTO of Mac Professionals, which is an Apple authorized service provider that is in the. It's Farmington Hills out there, right? Our newest is in Farmington Hills. That's in right. In Farmington Hills. And we are going to talk about your organization, <laughs> where you are. Uh, we started the conversation behind the scenes here, uh, kind of just willy-nilly digging into the whole subject of um, the issue of the FBI demanding, at least the way it's been posed is, the FBI is demanding that Apple um, open up uh, the Apple 5C iPhone that one of the folks who was involved in the San Bernardino one of the terrorists sh- right? one of the terrorists involved in the San Bernardino shootings and they uh, ha- and and the FBI has a court order has a court order issued by the judge okay and right? the court order is uh, to uh, help the FBI unencrypt the okay. iPhone so that they can see if there's any other information on there that would help them. Um, either identify a friend that may also commit another terrorist act against somebody or to see what was on there on the phone, right? Okay. And the root of the problem is the phone is encrypted. And and it's great encryption. Apple has great encryption. The thing <laughs> yes, is, apparently, because the, the FBI thing, can't break it. Right. And the thing is, the only people that hold the keys is the person that creates the encryption. Right. Apple did not create a backdoor, and nor do they have a manufacturer's encryption key no. for their units. So there really is no nothing Apple can do except... Oh, they can. Well, I, I'm sure they can. That's not true. I'm right. sure they can install they an alternate... Op- well, yeah. But they're, they have, but they're also... They're also what the other thing is, is that they the government to do that. They refuse to do. But one of the things the government also wants yeah. is, and with many of the manufacturers, they want a lot of the phone manufacturers and hardware manufacturers to create a governmental backdoor. Different of some issue. Type. Different issue different in this issue. case. See, that's what, what I thought. 
No, so it's a different issue because okay. this time it's about terrorism and it's about the FBI going to the courts, legally obtaining a subpoena to um, to have um, a- Apple help them unencrypt the phone because really it's great encryption and Apple has has mm-hmm. created this. People should feel really good that Apple has created this encryption that not even the FBI can break. So and that's how, one of the somebody, reasons, that right. will be one of the reasons Apple's resisting this is because you've got something somewhat unprecedented here. The government is asking a, a, a company to take a step that potentially could compromise their brand Yep. No, to it make couldn't. it seem less robust from a security perspective. No, that couldn't. is certainly... No, we can so, debate the technical merits, yeah. of course, but Apple feels this way. Apple's grandstanding because they're getting great publicity. Of it's course. wonderful publicity. The problem is there's a court order. And if you and if you violate that court order, you're in contempt of court, well, they, and you should can, go to jail. They can appeal it, and, and they're you going should go to, to appeal. And they, it's what they're doing. So well, they're, and they've gotten a they've gotten a delay just to keep up the story. They've yeah. gotten a delay. And until hopefully, until none of these terrorists' friends that might have been exposed because of information that might be on that phone. Hopefully, none of those friends commit a terrorist act and kill more people while this delay is happening. Let me introduce somebody else to the conversation, as if we didn't have enough people involved. Uh, Scott Larson is with us. Scott is the adjunct professor uh, at Spring Harbor University in uh, South Central Michigan, where he's teaching a class on cybersecurity. And uh, Scott, thank you very much for joining us. And you uh, feel free to jump in here with both feet. (laughs) Yeah. uh, First of all, it's a pleasure. First time on the radio, so pretty cool. Hey, Scott. Um, welcome uh, to uh, the Internet Advisor Show. Uh, just as a matter of full disclosure, Scott and I work together, but he teaches this wonderful class. Um, he went to uh, Spring Arbor University, and uh, he's a, a cybersecurity expert, had been with the state, and now with uh, Beaumont Health. So, Yeah, so I caught the tail end of your discussion there, and then I came across uh, an article recently about um, why the FBI is using a 227-year-old law against Apple, and I'm not gonna, I'm not a lawyer, so but I thought it was interesting they're dredging this up to be kind of a uh, create a precedent. So more to come, I guess, on that. Um, when Gary ta- told me about coming on the show and asked me what are we teaching the kids at Spring Harbor, and um, this will be the first cybersecurity class we've offered at Spring Harbor University. It's cyber is really catching fire in a lot of the universities. Oh, yeah. Got a lot of yeah. programs. Um, our third week uh, subject was cryptography, and um, so very timely on that. Um, you got to ask yourself on this, and we talked about it in class, that if you're a law-abiding citizen, they say, well, you have nothing to hide, right? So why don't you just send your mail on postcards, right? got nothing to hide. Or do drug testing on demand, submit to that, or why do you need a warrant, so forth. So cryptography allows us to protect our data as it travels. Um, that's really important. Um, uh, we practice the uh, cybersecurity triad, what we call it. Uh, CIA, the C stands for confidentiality. I stands for integrity. And A stands for availability. And all those three are vitally important to uh, cybersecurity and protecting our data. Um, so confidentiality protects it from being eavesdropped upon and being modified in, in any way. Okay. And integrity allows us to rely on the data itself for decision-making purposes. So if we've protected it, when it gets to its destination, then we can use it properly. Scott, we're going to pause for just a second. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Scott Larson, who is a professor at Spring Arbor University, 
teaches about cybersecurity there, will join us as we continue this conversation about the FBI versus Apple. Lots of interesting comments coming up next. Welcome to our number two of the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, co-host of the program and producer, and our whole crew is in studio. And we also uh, have with us as well Dean Norton, who is the CTO, Chief Technological Officer, right? Technology Technology Officer Officer for Mac Professionals, which is an Apple-authorized service provider. The only other, I think you're the only one in the state, am I right, besides the Apple stores? It's better to phrase it as we're the only one really in southern Michigan. Okay. Yep. Okay. For the vast majority of your, for the entirety of your listening area, we are the shop that is the only Apple authorized shop. That and this well, be- that's not quite true because you can hear us halfway to Actually. between um, <laughs> th- between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Okay, stand you can, corrected. You can hear us in Kentucky, <laughs> right? All of Ohio uh, and of parts Michigan. of Indiana well, and up in, into Canada. In the <laughs> so, state of Michigan, though, you have been around now for how many years? We were formed in January two thousand. So okay, we've been around for a long since time. Since the turn of the century, you've been here. It's funny to say since. <laughs> Turn of the century, but uh, in the last 16 years, you've been around, and um, you are. But uh, for instance, in Southeast Michigan, well, in Michigan, period, in the southern tier of Michigan, we only had the Apple Store in Partridge Creek and the one in Somerset, and you have one in Briarwood, and one in Briarwood, and then that's pretty much besides yourselves. Am I right? 12 Oaks, and And 12 Oaks, 12 Oaks, rather, right? So, if you go online and look for authorized iPhone repair, you'll find those four stores in our area. And Mac professionals. And Mac professionals. Right. So it's important. We want to let people know about that and provide the, the services you provide there. But what you're providing, too, is a little more um, kindling for this conversation <laughs> that we have right now. Well, we didn't ask him really to come in no, and talk about No, we didn't. And this, I want to so. talk more about yourselves and uh, now, what you're Scott doing. Scott might be a little fairer game. Yeah, I think maybe got so. Scott Larson on the phone. Uh, and uh, Scott teaches a cybersecurity class at Spring Arbor University. So welcome back, Scott. Thank you, Scott, for being here with us. Thank you. Scott, we, we had you, you had three principles about cybersecurity. One was C, I, and the last one was A. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. There's yeah, cybersecurity. it's not the same one you're thinking of. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, it does. <laughs> but the A principle, we, we didn't get that one yet. That was... Availability. So, for example, the... Um, Network needs to be available to be able to transmit information, right? So having that network up and not being attacked by denial-of-service attacks, things of that nature, is very important. All right, so we've got uh, Scott Larson with us, somebody who teaches about cybersecurity. The rest of the folks in here, Gary and uh, Dean and the other guys, are, are here to comment as well. Here's my question that I have for you guys. Maybe it's kind of simplistic. It, as I looked at the information involved in this, it looks like the issue is kind of like the FBI said to Apple, look, we have a cell phone, this 5C cell phone that belonged to one of the terrorists who, in the San Bernardino shootings. Right. We want you to help us to get into that cell phone so we can get the information. In other words, it's about that single cell phone, isn't right. it? And it's how about it stopping terrorism. Issue? But wait a minute. How does it become a bigger issue so that now you know Google is behind Apple and everybody else is saying, you can't do this because you're going to open up all cell phones. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. It was about one cell phone, wasn't it, Ed? Well, I was going to say, you know, Gary made this distinction. There, there's two things. There's building in the back door and then just just decrypt this one phone. Yeah. And I think we're confusing the issue. Right. All they're asking is for this one phone that's, to be decrypted. That's and, my and thought. And, because and, but, but of a crime? Lot of the press be- is, is, is combining it with, yeah. unfortunately, but, with but the writers. The they're writers. They're not technologists. What yeah. do they know, right? That's and true. besides that, it sells newspapers if they write it that way. Just like Apple is 
making a great big um, to-do out of this, and they're getting wonderful publicity. <laughs> um, and eventually, they'll probably relent to the court order because, guess what? If they don't, they're in contempt of court. There's a, a legitimate court order that that's that the FBI got to, to compel Apple to help them. Now, Dean, am I right that, that and Scott, feel free to ch- uh, ch- chime in on this. Essentially, what they're asking is that um, Apple would allow them to and one commentary I saw, essentially to brute force the password for the this 5, 5C phone right. the, the FBI beyond the you. 10 times. Because after right. 10 times of trying, Scott, it, yes. then it wipes everything out. That's Gone. Right. Boom. That's, that's true. That's, that's what right. they're asking. They want to modify the firmware in the running yep. RAM of the computer without changing what's on the phone itself so that the FBI can do the brute force breaking. They're not asking Apple to break the phone open themselves. Okay. Ah. okay. You know, it, to, guys, to my view, it would really, be really simple. Take that um, FBI, bring that phone in an armored card to Apple, let them unlock it, send it back to the FBI so they can get the data they want off it. Yep. Now, now the, or they could bring it into John McAfee. Right? So didn't he just post something? I saw something? that today, too. <laughs> I saw that uh, Thursday. And he more grandstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about grandstanding. What, what happened? Okay. Well, yeah. I didn't realize he was a presidential candidate for the independent party. <laughs> oh, no. So here, he, he's grandstanding himself. He's saying, bring it to my company. Give me three weeks, FBI. Yeah. I'll do it for free. And uh, this is we, McAfee, we can drop McAfee security. Whole, but yes. but, but well, that, the no court longer. order doesn't ask him to do that. No. The court <laughs> order's asking <laughs> Apple for some help. Right. Right. Well, how and to help stop potential more terrorist acts. And and again, my concern is, yep, we can grandstand. And, and Dean, you made a great point off the air. I'll state it again, or actually I'll ask you to state it. Um, there's some great public awareness going on right now, right? Sure. I think this sure. is a great test case to allow consumers to become a little bit more sensitive about encryption as a general concept, how encryption works on these ubiquitous products like the iPhone and the Android platform, how it affects their lives. I mean, one thing that's coming to light is that Apple, while it does not have the crypto keys for the phone itself, does have the crypto keys for some of the cloud services. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, if you're backing up your phone to Apple's cloud, that is something that Apple can get for you. And in fact, based on the reading I've done, one of the first instructions they gave the FBI was plug this phone in Make sure it's on Wi-Fi and let it sit overnight and then give us a call. Because at that point, they'd have access to the backup that was done to the cloud. Right. Oh. And, and their concern is that somebody... They couldn't do it, though. It didn't work, right? They, That's right. The, you know. the word I heard was that apparently somebody in... in this is a corporate-owned phone owned by the uh, right. San Bernardino Health Department. Changed the password. Somebody changed the password. Oh, That's a wow. very mysterious they, issue, and that'll be an interesting one to watch. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 oh, wow. so, so Scott, um, you, know, you deal a lot with... Encrypted hard drives, right? Um, there's some pretty good encryption out there today. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. No, AES two fifty six. You can't break one twenty eight, let alone two fifty six. You know, right? guys, hang on. We've got that the FBI is part of a government that also has the resources of the NSA. Okay, wait, 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 guys. <laughs> Why couldn't I, they tear it apart? Okay, here's the reason. I was one of those people that got the letter from Office of Personnel Management say, sorry. China got your information when they hacked us. Oh, so let's let's call it what it is, guys. They're not they're not always on the ball on some of this, and that's why the public's kind of not trusting 100 percent, right, with their data. And that's and that's basically the issue, I think. But oh. but this is about one phone, and while this great public awareness, um, you know, issue is going on, 
I am really hoping that, and especially for in for Apple's sake, that one of the terrorist friends doesn't commit a terrorist act, kill more people, and we find out later that there's information on that phone that could possibly have gotten to the terrorist before Cal- they did. Well, if it's one of their friends, they probably talked to him on the phone. Why don't they just trace the phone numbers? I can't tell you why, but I'm sure they've done that already. But I think that they want to make sure that there's nothing there that could help them stop terrorism. We all want to stop terrorism. Do you think this will go to the Supreme Court, guys? But, but I don't understand why... Like why said, somebody why has don't to they comply? Just, why don't they what? just zip it back up to the cloud and take whatever they get? Well, that's exactly. Like, apparently, they can't. They Am can't. I right? They, they, tried they can't now because the iCloud password that we were required for that backup is no longer available. Yeah, so they don't tried change. that. Oh. Okay. Shane, you were going to say something? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think it'll it'll go that far. I think I think Apple, Apple I think Apple's going to step up and look like the hero and say, you know what? We're going to do this for you. Here you go. There's no reason nope. they've got their they've got their their glory off of it. Yep. And I think and they're they just going to back down. And they don't want Tim Cook to go to jail. Yeah. Right? And if the company is in contempt of court, right? I'm not sure who goes to jail in that case. <laughs> but they're, if they're being held in contempt of court, some additional ramifications Somebody's are going to go to jail. I would just love to see how this whole thing would play out if Steve was still alive. Oh, yeah, but you know, Steve Jobs? That, that would have oh. been an entirely different twist. <laughs> right, but, yeah. but if it's one phone and it's all about stopping terrorism and there's a court order. I wonder if this would have been a Microsoft, a Microsoft phone or what would happen. Oh, that would all of these things. Yeah. These would have been are fascinating. Yeah, Scott, I want to thank you is. very much for being available here for being with us and for jumping hey, into Scott, the conversation. Thanks a lot. Scott Larson from Spring Arbor University has been with us talking about this subject as well. Thanks so much. Back in just a moment, we're going to try to talk a little bit more. Thank you for joining us uh, for what may be the first hour of the Internet Advisor for you, but uh, we've actually been on since 3 o'clock, and we're going to be here until 6. And may I remind you this, starting after the news at the top of the hour, we're going to open up our phone lines at 800-859-0957, and you'll be able to ask your questions of this august gathering here. Gary Baker, Ed Rudell, Cal Carson, and Shane Hamlin, all in studio to answer your questions. And, and we were just talking at the break... Yes. To finish up what was going on, <laughs> oh. and none of us are attorneys, so Homie, we're all that's just, not going to finish up. You know, so, uh, but we were talking about well, what if the courts and the courts are, well, Apple's appealing the court right. order right. to turn this over. We're talking about the FBI and the Capitol, uh, okay. right? Well, we're talking now the FBI got a court order, right? So they're uh, they're they're appealing that. If mm-hmm. they lose the appeal, I guess it could go all the way to the Supreme Court. Probably won't, mm-hmm. right? Probably won't mm-hmm. go past the appeals court. Probably. We don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. it will. But at some point, if they're found um, guilty, they would be found in contempt of court. So we were just using the example here. We have a limited liability company. Uh, called the, the Internet Advisor. Called the Internet Advisor. And uh, I just filed the, inc- the papers with the state because mm-hmm. it has to be done by February 15th each year. And... Uh, I would be the resident agent if you guys withhold information in, you know. It, and we've all agreed to visit you. Yeah, well, we've all you know, agreed. if there's a court order and we're giving over anything they want, we're just, we're just if, we'll if, start up a crowd share fight site. There you go. Raise your money. Go great. fund me. Get Jerry yes. Gary out of jail. That's the free the next Gary. One. We'll have free Gary free stickers Gary. and everything. T-shirts the whole nine yards. Oh, thanks so Let lot, me guys. reintroduce I really Dean. This is in some ways, Dean. I have to apologize. You were. I don't think ready for this kind of thing. Dean Norton is with us. Well, we didn't invite him. 
here because of this FBI app. <laughs> no, fight, no, no, right? but it just happened. To... I, actually, I saw the information that was in the Oakland Press. There was a rather nice article about uh, Mac Professionals, which is your company, which has been around now for about 16 years. You are an Apple authorized service provider. And, uh, you know, maybe as a layman, I, I thought that's the only one I know of in the state of Michigan outside of the Apple stores where you can go to get your Apple uh, computer uh, or other product uh, worked on. Am, am I right? Yeah, right. that's that's right. For the most part, we're the only one in Michigan. There, there is a, another store mm-hmm. uh, in northern Michigan, and we have a store in northern Michigan in the Bay Harbor area near Petoskey. That's right. So we have three locations: one in uh, in the Petoskey Bay Harbor area, one in Novi, mm-hmm. which is a large facility aimed at business to business work on the Apple okay. platform, and our newest is at, is in the Hunter Square Plaza on the uh, southwest corner of Fourteen Mile and Orchard Lake. So every time I go into an Apple store, it's filled with people energetic and busy. They're they're servicing its product and stuff like that. I'm happy and all that sort of stuff. But it takes a while to get up to that service desk. Mm. How about coming to your store? Am I going to go through that same sort of madness or will it just be a more, let's say, uh, tranquil experience? Well, you put your finger on why we formed that new store in Farmington Hills. We have a great relationship at several levels with Apple. And the Apple Care folks reached out to us and said, you've been a long-standing Apple authorized service provider. Would you be willing to expand your footprint? And here's why the experience at the apple stores has not been great in some circumstances Mm -hmm. with long lines customers who don't know they need to make appointments um, and sometimes uh, it's all hands on deck at the apple store just to try and keep folks moving along so the the intent is that we can try to peel some of that traffic away from the area stores and we sit between 12 oaks and somerset Mm -hmm. great relationship with those stores and with those folks we just had the somerset team over to the store the other day for a nice confab so they could see our space and we have two things the apple stores don't have one would be ample seating and the other would be free gourmet coffee oh yes (laughs) so we hope that to to help with yeah the demand. I, am I right? I mean, I was surprised, Dean, to find that there actually was a, a third-party Apple-authorized service provider because my sense of Apple was they, it's too precious. They won't let that out of their hands. How did you guys get hold of that? <laughs> well, it turns out. My precious. <laughs> <laughs> the authorized service provider predates the Apple stores considerably. Oh. By about a decade, really. Oh, yeah. And they've we, been around for a long time. That's right. So when the stores came out, there were many folks that did what we do now that, that couldn't hang in there because the stores vacuumed up a lot of that traffic. And we were talking the other night with the Somerset folks, and one of those folks made a great point, which is when the authorized service provider network was built, it was a largely Mac business. And many customers still know how to find shops like ours mm-hmm. to do their Mac stuff. And we do vintage Mac repair, so that oh. gives them another reason for them to find us. Oh. But the stores were launched roughly in concert with the emergence of the iPhone. So a lot of customers okay. now just think about coming to the manufacturer for that. But it's depending on whose numbers you're looking at, whether it's web traffic or, or just the buying of products. It's the one or two, the number one or number two most popular smartphone platform in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, it's too much of a good thing. And in our area, we've got, we're lucky to have a lot of Apple stores, but it's just not quite enough. So we're hoping to help out with that. I would so imagine I, in the U.S. in particular with the iPhone, whether regardless of the rest of the world, because uh, the Android platform is, I think, bigger overall when you're looking at the rest of the world. But in the U.S., certainly, iPhone, I think, is probably. I don't on, think so. But, but <laughs> it depends anyway. on who you're talking to. Yeah, yeah I don't think so okay. at all. But, oh, really? But oh. anyway, I do love my iPhone, and I now especially love it since I know that it's encrypted so well. Not even the FBI can <laughs> get it. Just like back that. Who's <laughs> <laughs> back to that but wow. but here's so um when you have when you're completely apple oriented um the apple stores do really well right i happen to love my apple iphone but 
because of work and because of other things, I'm a Windows-based computer user. I have a really hard time finding anybody in the Apple stores themselves that really kind of can talk between the, the two. And I want my Apple iPhone to sync with my uh, Outlook on my Windows platform. Mm-hmm. Can you guys do that? Well, you gave me a great window. <laughs> I was, we've been doing... Window, we've been that's doing, cute. Uh, Ooh. Oh, yes. Thanks. We've been doing <laughs> Apple integration with the other platforms, chiefly, obviously, the Microsoft platform, right. for years. Yep. That's been one of our calling cards. Um, we've worked with a lot of the businesses in the area, the big three, the broadcast companies here in town, to help with Apple Windows integration, including Active Directory and so on. So I think that's a huge win <laughs> and differential be, d- d- between you and the Apple stores, because the last time I went in and the 22-year-old kid that was trying to help me went, why don't you just buy a Mac? And I'm going, because my company doesn't issue Macs. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I have so employees that don't use Macs, so that should tell you something right so there. there. I've got some Windows can. specialists on staff, mm. and I'm tolerant enough to let them do yeah. their own thing. <laughs> yeah. So if I walk into your store, am I going to hear Yanni? You know, playing some yoga music, or am I going to hear some rock and roll? Oh, you'll hear some rock. And roll. Okay, all good. right. Okay. We've go got a lot I'm of sound systems in the store, so you'll hear some good stuff. And as far as for businesses, uh, how, how does your services pan out for them? What do you offer? Well, so one of the things that I think is, I'd love to get out on the air for for uh, the folks that are listening is there's a misconception about what happens if you have an iPhone in warranty and you drop it, which so many of us have. Mm-hmm. You drop it or even drop it in the drink and you damage the phone. Most of us feel like, okay, I understood I was under a limited warranty or even an Apple Care warranty, uh, an Apple Care Plus warranty, but I did something to it, accidental damage. So my only choice now is to go to a third-party um, repair shop that is not using Apple original authorized parts mm-hmm. and doesn't have Apple authorized technicians. And certainly it must be cheaper, right? And the reality is, even if you shatter your phone, you have the option to take it to a place like Mac Professionals, and we can use original Apple parts with Apple authorized technicians and restore the phone to a warranty eligible state. And what's happening, unfortunately, is a lot of the consumer population doesn't know that. And they have these very expensive phones. Now that we've got these new buying models, some people are spending $700 oh, on the yeah. phone outside of a data plan. And so, and it's the center of our digital lives. There's no question about it. So we love these things. We want to get them fixed as soon as possible. And they assume they don't have an Apple-authorized route. And in fact, they do. They can bring it to Mac professionals. And the cost of doing what I'm describing, using an original Apple part, is the same in most cases as it would be to use a third-party part. And those parts, by the way, I should share with you that Mac professionals used to do this. We used to do work in third-party parts mm-hmm. before we were granted the right to do it with Apple authorized parts. And it was not a great experience for our customers. We had a high degree of part failure, Uh. software issues. We had customer confusion around their warranty. And if you put one of those screens on your phone now, one of the third-party screens, you can no longer bring it anywhere for repair at an Apple store or an authorized You also, Rick... A risk bricking the phone, am I right? There because are. of that uh, error? What is the error? Error 53. Error 53, yep. which apparently, if I understand it right, means if you do use a third-party component to repair your phone, am I right on this? That That's one of the phenomena that that's can one, occur if you, you use could a third-party You could actually end up bricking it completely, that's making right. it unusable. Well, you know, I have, I have to wonder if that's a play on words between Area 52 and Area 53. <laughs> The experience is yes. apparently a close. That goes right <laughs> along with our conversation about cryptography today. I'm <laughs> sorry. So, so the other, I have a question though. So, uh, in, in corporations, we're getting, we're penetrating, you know, 
uh, a lot of Macs into the corporate environment. Mm. A lot of bring your own device to work, right? Yep. And then, but if something happens and you're a Mac person, it's like, oh, I got to stand in line at the Mac store. Okay. Do you form businesses or, or, or cooperations with corporations to service their components, their their computers, their Mac? And- we actually do. We actually work around the United States. I have okay. engineers in oh. multiple states, even though our footprint, we're proud that our footprint's been here in Detroit. We have engineers around the United States, and we've worked coast to coast with business and education partners. That's Excellent. Great. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, um, I want to talk, Cal, you have a meeting coming up. We're going to talk about that. The Mac Group is meeting. And I want to continue to talk a little bit more about some of the services, Dean, that you folks offer at Mac Professionals. That's uh, out in the Hunter Square and we'll talk more about that location coming up in just a minute on the Internet Advisor. We used to call them Mac attacks. <laughs> That's when we would have a program specially designed dealing with Apple issues. And matter of fact... Do you know Cal- how long ago that was? I know. That's when you came aboard. That was what? Uh, 2004. 2004? Yeah. Wow. 12 years ago. 12 years of madness. <laughs> that is how we got Cal on board with us, and we've had a few of them since then. But it's it's nice to have a program where we can focus on Mac, even though Mr. Baker doesn't think that they are worthy of having well, that you kind know, they of got attention. 10%. Given. I they- love my iPhone. <laughs> They're up to 10% now. Okay. They're the number four computer manufacturer in the world. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different ways of looking at that yeah. in terms of... Com- and uh, I think a lot of us... Well, I think... Oh, wait, how, many, how many of us have iPhones? You have an iPhone, Gary. I, I have. I do. My Guilty. whole family does. Do you count? You carry an Yay. iPhone? He carries an iPhone. Ed, you've got an Android, right? Yes, yes, but I keep an iPhone powered off just in case. Sorry, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Shane, you have a Windows phone. I have a Windows phone, Windows 10 phone. Yep, yes. there you go. There you go. And so so, and so what that's about, about 20%. Boss? I have an iPhone. iPhone. iPhone okay. uh, the iPhone 6. So the world the 6 is plus. covered. <laughs> All we here. need is a flip phone and life would be complete. Oh, the flip phone, my StarTac. I love that. <laughs> I went through so many of them because of flipping them, you know, constantly. Anyway, <laughs> Mac Professionals is the name of the organization. Dean Norton is with us. He's the CTO out there. They are an Apple authorized service provider, and that began back around 2000 here in the Detroit. No, not in Detroit, up in Bay Harbor, I think. You no, we began in Detroit. We've been okay. Detroit natives oh, really? through and through. Yep. What brought you to Bay Harbor? I mean, it's a lovely community up there. It sure is. Well, we detected a need for support, you know, oh. sort of north of the Bay City area. It's, oh, I got There's you. a lot yeah. of folks up there that, oh, yeah. that have Apple technology. We looked for a great spot to put it. We thought the Bay Harbor community was a fabulous place to do it. And uh, it's been a great ride for us. That, that store wow. is beautiful. It's constantly filled with folks coming in. We've, we've had folks come in on boats. We've had folks come in <laughs> from Canada, from Wisconsin. So it's, it's a nice uh, pin in the map up that there. Is fast. When did you join the organization? I'm almost as old as my professionals itself in terms of my time there. I, I've been there for about 15 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where did you come from before that? I've, I've sort of transferred my flag around uh, from support organization to support organization. Okay. A little bit of design work on the Apple platform, a little support work on the, on the But platform. basically, you came from the Apple platform? That was I your, have been, been an your Apple roots. guy from through and through, from the beginning. Oh, yeah. wow. Back in the days, of the, in the mists, when Steve was still moving the, uh, the brand when around. the juice was very, very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> that has got to be a quote that we hold on to. I'm just glad he didn't say Kool-Aid. <laughs> That's Jim Jones. Cal, since you've you've made your comment, there's something special coming up this weekend with the Mac Group Detroit. Of course, yeah. We and we've been around probably as long as Mac professionals, maybe a little bit longer. And that'll be uh, tomorrow uh, at three o'clock. Uh, Mac Group will be meeting at the uh, Birmingham Temple over in. Uh, 
Farmington Hills, Michigan. You can go to macgroup.org or go to internetadvisor.net to find out the exact location and times. We'll be talking about, um, matter of fact, Sheeta Hunter will be presenting the Mac OS X. Why does my oh, brain not Ca- El say Capitan. El Capitan. Oh, Capitan? That's right. So we'll be talking everything about El Capitan tomorrow. So if you want to come out, you can take a look at it. It's open to everyone, both Windows and Mac. And uh, at 2 o'clock, we have our Genius Table, where you can bring your Mac problems. And Wonderful we place can to try go, and help you yeah. out with those as well. Now, I, I had a question for you, Dean, about uh, what about student discounts or anything like that? Because it's you're, you're, you're located next to some universities and colleges. Uh, did you offer any type of student discounts for for college kids or anything if they show their student ID? I'm just throwing it out there. I'm sorry. It was He's but, got a kid in school. You can sure. Show. No, yeah. the, the best choice for a student who's looking for that discount is to buy from Apple Direct. Yeah, okay. They, they definitely have that wired properly. And you can find that discount information on the Apple Store uh, website or by mm-hmm. walking into one of the stores. But, right. I was just wondering about service or anything like that. Yep. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good. Dean, I want to ask a question that I was listening to. Uh, one of my favorite uh, podcasts to listen to is Mac Break Weekly with um, uh, Leo Laporte and his gang. And um, one of the things that, that seems to be kind of this rising tide of comment, and apparently it came from some of the big fanboys of Apple, uh, is a complaint about Apple software. The hardware still is marvelous. This MacBook Pro that I have here is, I think, six years old. I uh, got it, or five years old, 2011, I think I got late. Uh, it's worked wonderfully for me. I've replaced the hard drive to put an SSD in it, but basically it's worked wonders for me. I've never had to take it back for any kind of repair. So the hardware seems to be holding on well, but there's a growing chorus of complaints about Apple software. Well, there's a trade-off between the speed of innovation and the stability of product. And that's not unique to Apple. It's mm-hmm. it's something that you see in many industries. A few years ago, Apple made a commitment to release a new version of iOS and a new version of OS X every year. Mm. And so they proceed at what I only can imagine is a breakneck development pace inside Apple, making sure that they can release those operating systems every fall. Mm-hmm. And a company like Mac Professional spends time preparing for that release because it's impactful to many of our customers, both consumers and businesses and education organizations. But I think that's where a lot of that comes from. When you proceed at that sort of breakneck pace, there isn't the longer window to test every possible scenario. Having said that, Apple is throwing the net wider and wider every day with their development community, inviting folks in to test more broadly, to mm. try different scenarios and so forth. Are you finding then that you're staff is having to spend more time um, dealing with software issues than hardware issues? I would still say that these days, Apple software products are better than they were when we when we began this journey many years ago. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. The, the operating systems uh, that Apple used to run, uh, OS 9 and prior to that, are simply were simply orders of magnitude mm. beyond that in sophistication. I, I guess I've had, uh, Cal has known this, but I've had this problem with uh, Apple Mail. Uh, that had gotten so bad that I have had to switch products completely, and I'm going with something called AirMail 2, which is just working. And working like all that, like the old Mac software before, just works and works very well for me. Uh, and so it's been kind of disappointing to me that some of these core softwares, uh, like the Apple Mail, um, which I loved using up until El Capitan. It seems like with El Capitan, this is OS 10. Uh, 11, is it? 11, That's right. 11.2, I think it is. Yes. Um, just seemed to kind of start falling apart on me. I don't know why. 
It's difficult. There are so many different use cases, you know, and so many different internet providers providing mail in different ways. At Mac Professionals, we use, we've used several different ones over the mm -hmm. years, and the experience of our employees using these different mail platforms, even with the Apple Mail client, is different every time. Calendaring is different, and mail is different, and yeah. so on. So uh, anybody manufacturing software like this, whether it's Microsoft or Google or Apple, has to map their software products to this third-party world. Apple, of course, has always regarded their one of their competitive advantages is they sort of are a closed platform of software and yeah. hardware, mm -hmm. but they, they really do have to integrate with the rest of the world. And mail is a perfect example of some place where that's got to tie in and it's got to tie in successfully. Yeah. So uh, there are ways for consumers to file bugs with Apple. And, and, uh, and at Mac Professionals, one of the things we do is we offer support for these very issues. Okay, I was so, going to ask you how you guys handle it because I've gone to the Mac help desks. I you know, made the call, talked to somebody about it. And they is like they couldn't find. I went to the forums and I didn't find any help there. Uh, Cal had, had direct me there, and uh, it's been one of those things where I just can't seem to find anybody that can help me with a particular issue. So I said, as I went to this other software just to see if it would work, and boom, worked perfectly. So we're we're going to start calling you Black Cloud. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> yeah, true. You know, if you know the old Al Cap uh, cartoon series, there was a guy named Joel Blitzkowitz. I think and it was this combination of consonants and he had his black cloud that followed him everywhere he went ed that's me ed well no i went on the mac platform because i trashed a very nice dell laptop with a cup of tea mm. and uh, when was that carry it was it had to be about five years ago five six years ago oh i think it was longer than that yeah yeah so i have a very nasty track record. I, I just think that every you know especially with something like mail with so many different providers and everything with that it gets really goofy because like for example, I can't send mail to Earthlink people. I can't s reply back yeah. to people on Windows Live for some reason. It's a tangled but web. It's weird. Dean, thank you so much. Dean Norton has been with us here, CTO at uh, Mac Professionals. Again, Mac Professionals is a place that people can go to visit you. That's right. The, the store that we want folks to think about is in Hunter Square in Farmington Hills. Okay, and that is at 14 Mile? And... Uh, 14 in Orchard. Orchard. And you can go to uh, macprofessionals.com. And for folks looking for repair, you can go to checkin.macprofessionals.com. Excellent. We will post all of that, too, on our homepage with our podcast a little later on on Sunday. Thank you so much, Dean, for Thanks being for with us. Me. Great to be so, on the program. Sorry to have brought you in here for the great debate. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I'm glad you did. Hey, folks, the number to call is 800-859-0957. The next hour is dedicated to you answering your questions here at the Internet Advisor. You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. Now let's get back to the Internet Advisor.